Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Kia ora mai. I'm Alison Balance and this is an Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. Historian Jonathan West did his PhD research on the Otago Peninsula. It's a remarkable tongue of land, jutting out from Dunedin City and flanking Otago Harbour. The albatrosses, penguins and other wildlife that live and breed there are a drawcard for visitors from around the world. Jonathan has turned his research into a book. The Face of Nature, an Environmental History of the Otago Peninsula. The Face of Nature paints a picture of the peninsula's original rich biodiversity and then charts human impact, both Māori and European, to the turn of the 20th century. I catch up with Jonathan to find out about some of the many things he covered in this intriguing history. I wanted to try and look at how the peninsula had been before people arrived, but then to look at how people had approached their new environment, first Polynesian Māori arrivals, then Europeans, the rest of the world, how that experience had changed people, how that change had occurred both through the evolution of attitudes and the need to shape a new economy as the world around them changed. So it's a very particular geography, isn't it? It's very... Uh, windswept and wild on the ocean side of the peninsula. It's got a sheltered, gentle harbour on the other side. Yeah, and that geography has really shaped its settlement. By and large, people have lived on the on the harbour side and the outer coast has become almost increasingly wild. When the first Polynesians arrived on the Otago Peninsula, when was that and what did they find? Using archaeology as your guide, the first settlement of New Zealand is pinned reasonably tightly these days uh, to about 1280 AD. That fact, coupled with the theory that New Zealand and, and even the outlying islands were settled in an extraordinarily quick starburst where there was an arrival and very quick dispersal of people around the coast so quickly that really archaeology cannot distinguish the sequence. Uh, and so... All we know is that they, there weren't that many people in the early arrivals, but they moved really, really fast, astonishingly quickly, and clearly with uh, what can only be called really political motivations to name and claim and gain territory really fast. And to cut a long story short, the Otago Peninsula is one of those sites which, if not as early as the Waido Bar, is so close in time as to be indistinguishable. And what was the environment they found there? Was it a forest-covered environment? The peninsula was certainly forested. Uh, it was a um, podocarp broadleaf forest. It was a very diverse 
range of vegetation because of the diverse landscape? Because the landscape ranges from, of course, being coastal and you have estuaries and you have cliffs and you have white sand beaches, all of which are backed by a different range of vegetation. And some of that rises quite rapidly into hills that are quite salt laden on the outer coast. On the inner coast, much sunnier. You have a range of soils. Um, a lot of that vegetation was sustained by seabird guano. New Zealand, when first discovered, had an extraordinary range and abundance of seabirds. There were uh, many different kinds of albatrosses and penguins and, and any type of bird you can imagine, and the, but the abundance of them was several orders of magnitude greater than we see today, so that you would see square kilometres of sea covered in great crowding flocks of birds. In other respects also... Um, Kākāpō were one of the most abundant and common birds, which you would never think now. You certainly get the impression that it was a place full of potential food for those early Māori, you know, marine mammals. There were seals, there were whales, there was fish and seafood, there were seabirds, there were land birds like moa as well. Yes, and obviously the marine mammal densities would have been really high. It's such great habitat for, for seals. So those early Māori found a land of plenty. Can you quickly sort of step me through the next few hundred years? What happened once people decided to stick around on Otago Peninsula? When Māori first arrived in the New Zealand, they were really attracted to leeward and southern New Zealand, where there was a f- concentration of moa, uh, and where even perhaps more importantly, there were concentrations of seals. And Māori based themselves uh, at the mouths of rivers where you could both harvest adjacent seal colonies and travel upriver, killing more and other large birds as you went and then floating them back downstream to your base camp. And you would uh, live in such a base camp for a couple of generations. Uh, the effect of that sort of intense focus on the best eating meant that those species were rapidly diminished and once it began to feel as though your expenditure of effort for reward was getting a bit tough, you'd up sticks and move on. Now the peninsula is home to at least one and possibly as many as three of such base camps, which is interesting in such a small area that it has this sort of intensity of use. My supposition has been that Māori used the harbour rather as they elsewhere did at the Waitaki and other rivers, Shag River mouth. They travelled up the harbour as though it were a river, and indeed it was called the river by Māori and whalers later. And if you look at a dot map of the South Island or of the Otago Coast more, more peninsulae, uh, that where each dot represents an archaeological site, the peninsula is virtually covered in these dots, suggesting that there was several large settlements at various points and then irradiating around, around those lots of little sites where they would have gone for particular reasons to harvest some particular resource. Is it fair to say that it didn't take very long for them to hunt down the numbers of things like more the seals, like all the, the easy pickings basically got picked over pretty quickly? No, not long at all. And that has been true of uh, wherever we have looked around the world where people have arrived in a place that the low-hanging fruits disappear extremely fast. Uh, so even though we're not talking about a large population and a population that doesn't have a wide range of technology 
the extermination of those large animals happened extremely quickly, um, probably in many areas really too quickly for anyone to reflect on what was going on. Now, breeding seal colonies, that's to say, of New Zealand fur seals completely disappear from Northland, where they were once, all the way down to the Otago coast by the point at which uh, the first European, Euro-American sealers arrive uh, at the turn of the 18th, 19th century. Now, the archaeology isn't precise on the peninsula on this point, but it seems as though on the outer edges of the peninsula and on the rock stacks and islands in the surrounding coast, there were surviving breeding seal colonies, or at least sealers, European sealers thought it worth their while to stay there during the summer breeding season, drop off their gangs and harvest seals, and they retrieved some few thousands of, of seal pelts. So that has always suggested to me that there must have been surviving seal colonies. There is a real question. Uh, if seals persisted on and around the peninsula right up until sealers arrived over several hundred years, then was this because of... Uh, the low population density of Māori in and around that area and because it was quite hard to get at some of those offshore rock stacks where seals may have been able to survive and on balance I think that's probably where I would lay most weight of explanation but I would still leave room for some uh, effort, conscious effort made by Māori to no longer cull seals at such a rate that they would leave themselves no more for succeeding years. So how had Māori culture evolved so that by the time the first Europeans turned up, what did they find on the peninsula? Several settlements of Māori in close proximity to one another on the peninsula itself, uh, both at the harbour mouth and on the outer coast, those settlements consisting of an intermingling of people who uh, whakapapad to both the first arrivals in the south, Tarapuwai, uh, Waitaha, and to Kati Mamoi, and to the more recent arrivals, the Kaitahu Hapu, who had come south mm, some few centuries earlier. Those people had learnt to sustain themselves in a way in a way analogous to how they had lived when they first arrived, having a base camp and then a, a really wide range of places that those people would go to during the warmer months particularly to get the resources that would sustain them year-round. Are people who had an extraordinary knowledge of the broader landscape of Tiwaiponamu or the the Greenstone Island, and whose mobilities uh, reflected that, and whose kin networks reflected that. And the first Europeans to take up settlement on the peninsula was that the whalers and the sealers. Well, the sealers are a f- sort of flash in the pan, if you like. They come, they go. So eighteen ten or so. The first substantial European inhabitation of the peninsula comes with the arrival of the Wellers whaling station, the Weller Brothers whaling station. The Wellers were shore whalers uh, who operated, as it, as it seems, from shore and sent the boats out each day from the shore itself. Set up in the early years of the 1830s and uh, a whaling station out at Otako, which is just inside the, on the inner tip, 
the lee of the peninsula, uh, right in the midst of the Maori communities there. And they rapidly form a sort of quite symbiotic relationship where the whalers who are uh, coming out of Sydney, bringing Sydney capital to bear on providing ships and equipment and a labour force. Māori joined that labour force in, in great numbers. Māori women uh, provided a great deal of uh, economic impetus to the station by growing a lot of the station's food, growing a lot of uh, food for trade, uh, particularly potatoes. This symbiotic relationship between Māori and Sydney Capital uh, was really successful for a short while in generating a great deal of life. Um, a bustling town sprang up really, um, not out of nowhere because I say it was embedded in these pre-existing Māori communities, but Māori flocked from up and down the coast to the port and the whaling station that was created. There was a store there. The the whalers, uh, like uh, Māori before them, very quickly uh, killed off the whales, or at least to the extent that it was no longer economically uh, sustainable to continue whaling in the area. And then there's another phase of settlement on the peninsula in the second half of the the 1800s. Can you just summarise that for me? The arrival of organised European settlement predicated on owning the land, transforming the land, and the success of that culture, that settling culture, and making the peninsula in just 50 years a pretty close realisation of what they'd first wanted to achieve when they stepped ashore, really tight-knit communities based on church and school uh, springing up all over the peninsula, serviced by, though a never-ending series of complaint about them, a reasonable network of roads, Uh, the same roads we still have today. Very few roads have been built. My book's title is The Face of Nature, and I drew that phrase in part from... Uh, a remark made by uh, George Malcolm Thompson, who was a um, leading natural scientist of the day, who'd observed this sort of change uh, over the decades since he arrived in Dunedin in the early 1870s. And he came to the conclusion, as he put it, that the whole face of nature had been altered because not only had you seen a shift from trees and ferns to grass, but... All of the bird life had changed. There were very few surviving native birds. The bird life was that of the old land, as he thought of it. The insects had completely changed. And New Zealand pasture land by this point really had very little surviving native biota at all. There was just almost nothing that resembled what had been there before. All the significant transformations had taken place by 1900 when I finished my research the land had been cleared, an economy based on uh, dairy farming had been very well established, Uh, all of the villages and small communities were well established, Māori were clinging on, you would have to say, to their land base on the northern end of the peninsula, which remained integral to the Māori community in Otago more broadly, and, and does so today. And since then, the peninsula has really seen a retreat from the outer edges of the peninsula so that while on the one hand the bays have become more and more intensely settled by suburbanites who travel into Dunedin, the land itself has emptied out. People have walked off the land so that now it only sustains a few functional farms 
most of whose money seems to be made from fleecing tourists who pay to peep at penguins rather than fleecing sheep. Thanks, Jonathan. Jonathan West is the author of The Face of Nature, an environmental history of the Otago Peninsula. It's published by Otago University Press. The book is one of the non-fiction finalists in the 2018 Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on the 10th of May 2018. If you'd like to find out more about the show and see some of the photos that go with each story, just head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. We are available as a podcast on the RNZ app, as well as at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Radio Public. I'd love it if you could rate and review us, please. It helps get the word out to other lovers of science podcasts. Thanks. Check out some of the other RNZ podcasts as well, and stay in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook, where we are RNZ Science. Thanks for your company. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.